The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Uh, switching gears, uh, my friends, over the years, there's been a lot of attention on the differences between generations and how society has really defined their views and behavior when they were born, how that impacted them. Uh, you know the stereotypes. We've heard about the silent generation uh, being inflexibly conventional, the boomers, narcissistic, Gen X, lazy, um, and those that say millennials just take too long to to grow up. Uh, a lot of that, though, is just pretty much assumption, right? Uh, but there is um, a, a long-term study, one of just a few long-term studies that closely examines Gen X, and it's at the University of Alberta. It's called the Edmonton Transition Study. It turns 35 this year, and it has been able to follow people from leaving high school to higher education, employment, starting a family and career, and now kind of hitting middle age. To find out more, we're joined by Dr. Harvey Cron, Professor Emeritus with the Department of Sociology at the University of Alberta, who originally designed the program with a colleague. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I, I just found this uh, fascinating. I mean, I've, I've been living here for 20 years. I had no idea that you've been doing this for 35 <laughs> years. I mean, 30... Well, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say 35 years, though. My goodness, that's one heck of a long study. It is, and in fact, if you had met me back then, I wouldn't have any of the white hair I have. <laughs> it's been a career-long study. I've been involved with it the last decade or so. Another colleague in psychology, Nancy Galambos, has been an equal uh, co-director, and more recently, Matt Johnson, uh, family studies prof. So the three of us have been kept it running, and Tentatively, we'd like to keep it going a bit longer. Our, our participants will be turning 55 in a couple of years, and seems like testing the Freedom 55 yeah. hypothesis could be interesting as well. So why 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 did you start it in the first place? You know, back I was I was a young prof along with my my colleague Graham Lowe. In the early 80s, the youth unemployment rate was extremely high. We had some nasty recessions in the in the early 80s and, and later in the 80s, and it got to almost 20%, and it hadn't been that high since the Depression among young people. And so uh, we were concerned, as were many others, about the possible impacts on a cohort of young people who were leaving school when jobs were really, really hard to get. So we thought we'd start a, a long-term study. We envisioned it being for two years, <laughs> thinking after two years we'd know the answers, but we only we had more questions after two years, so we've kept, we've kept it going. So you first uh, what surveyed a group of about a thousand young Edmontonians that started in 1985 as they graduated from high school, and then it continued on. Give me an idea of of you know just uh, I'm curious to know about the challenges of, of of keeping track of all of those people and getting <laughs> them to continue to stay with the program. Well, that, yeah, that's a really good question because it, there's a, a good reason these longitudinal studies, that's the technical term for this kind of study, don't get done very often. They take a long time. They take a lot of money and a lot of effort. We started by actually going into six local high schools, some in wealthier affluent neighborhoods, some in poorer neighborhoods, and really tried to convince the grade 12 students about the importance of the study and asked them if they would give us their name and address and also the name and address of a 
friend and of their parents and phone numbers, and about 90% of them did. <laughs> and so that, that information was useful when we tried to follow up by mail in the next number of attempts. Overall, we've interviewed them eight times. And then we moved into telephone surveying because people have been moving and more recently web surveys. But we send out newsletters to the people in the study. We let them know what they can look at our website and read about themselves. So some have, some have dropped out, but by now we've got a very committed group who I'm sure would be eager to uh, be re-interviewed <laughs> when they turn 55. So from, from high school, from graduating from high school, so that was what, uh, 1985, um, 1985 to 1995, you're looking at, you know, let's say uh, an age range of 18 to 28. What were some of the, what were some of the highlights that came out of that 10 years? Well, in the first 10 years, I think probably the most obvious staring us in the face finding was that after two years a large majority of these young people had stayed in school or gone back to school a very rational response to to high unemployment is get a better education get more education so that, that came through as we started moving through that first 10-year period it began became more apparent that young people from uh, families where their parents had gone to higher education, had more money, and so on, were more likely to do that themselves. So some of these class differences started to emerge by that point, and by now, the difference in the in the sample is if one of the participants came from a family where a parent had gone to university, they're about twice as likely to have done that mm. themselves, and that leads to different kinds of jobs, different different opportunities and so on. Were, were the Gen, and again, Gen Xers, we need to keep in mind, birth years usually 1965 to, to 1980, so I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. I followed in, yeah. There you go. Maybe at, you're in our study. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I was an Ontario kid. Uh, but no. 19, uh, 1970, the, uh, I was born. So, you know, I'm just, I, I, when it comes to, you know, that 20s into the 30s, what about, hap- what about happiness? What about, you know, being fulfilled? Were you able to, to, to measure that? Uh, yes, because our first questions really were, well, what happens when somebody's unemployed? So we mm. asked a lot of questions about happiness, about depression, about self-esteem, and so on. And one of the interesting findings, again, out of that first decade was that the levels of depression that many teenagers experience, it's a tough time to be around when you're a teenager, actually de- declined. And a lot of studies haven't had the opportunity to follow people through a a period of time like that and in fact some of the differences between young women and young men Mm. uh, that you see in high school with higher depression lower self-esteem among women began to dissipate there was a women were becoming more like the men and then the another thing that was really obvious was that people were taking longer than their parents had to uh move into longer-term relationships to become parents themselves to terminate their education and, and move into sort of home ownership and those things as well. So, so yeah, yeah, I was going to, no, I was going to ask you about that part of it because I, th- I thought it really interesting. Um, you know, I had, we all have friends who get married right, uh, right away out of school or whatever and other people who maybe wait into their 30s and that was, you know, that was evidence certainly I think, uh, you know, for, for, with, with, a, with a lot of people but I'm wondering why that happened. Was it because they took longer in school because the jobs at the time weren't there? 
I think that's a, a very large part of the story is that the jobs weren't there and, and even if we hadn't been looking at this group coming through a recession, um, overall the requirements for better jobs have just gone up in North America over the past three or four decades and as a result people are staying in school longer and that of course leads to delaying uh, not necessarily relationships, but uh, moving into parenthood and actually getting married, I mean, delaying that. So that was part of it, exactly. Or, the, the labor market is a large part of that story. Was there was there any impact or any questions that focused on, um, you know, the Gen Xers, um, their, their parents? Because sometimes I wonder if delays moving into relationships and marriages come from, you know, a, a generation of, of kids who saw their parents. Their parents getting divorced. Maybe the the generation prior didn't see that as much. That's a good boy. That's a good point, and it makes me regret that when we started the study, (laughs) we didn't ask whether their parents had ever divorced. Mm. So we knew if they were living in a two-parent family, a one-parent family, we knew about their parents' education, their parents' unemployment experiences, and that kind of thing, uh, immigration status. But no, we didn't know that. But it's interesting because we're now starting to look at um, the questions these are 50-year-olds have been answering about how they get along with their own children. And, uh, and what are they saying? Uh, well, they're a variety of answers, getting along pretty good and so on, but we're kind of looking to see if there's a connection between the people in our study who told us 35 years ago that they were not getting along with their parents and whether we're going to see that that group somewhat more likely to be saying they're not getting along with their own children. And so it's kind of the same question if it's asked whether we're looking at divorce or whether we're looking at families that were not doing as well in terms of relationships then and does that have a intergenerational effect so my young colleague matt johnson who's the family studies expert in our group is really fascinating with that question have you been able to determine if there um is that much of a difference between these things between the different generations like if you're looking at you know the boomers compared to, to gen, gen x and i know that this study was mainly gen x but then looking into gen y and, and millennials has there have you been able to maybe say you know we're not maybe as different as everyone tries to point us out to be that's a really good question <laughs> um the um I think the popular media, popular psychology and sociology and, and the media, and I'm not I'm including you, but not you personally, <laughs> like to sort of talk about these generational differences. And I think what we've been seeing is that they're probably not as large as people would like to say. I think there's a, there's a bit of an industry about in, telling managers how to deal with millennials versus mm-hmm. Gen Xs and so on. We did a second study that started about... Well, it was 11 years after the the one we're talking about. And we followed that group from the same high schools for uh, seven years. And they would have been really the early, whatever we'll call them, Generation Y. And they they were somewhat more likely to uh, be concerned about making money. Mm. uh, A little more likely to believe that if you get a good education, you should get a good job, like you're entitled to a good job. Mm. But the differences really weren't as large as some would say between these generations. I think if we compare, you know, my grandparents with my parents, one group going through a war and a a great depression, the next group, my parents be sort of 
becoming uh, well raising their kids when the economy was expanding I think there were big differences between those kinds of generations as, as there would have been between you know people before the war and during the war and after but some of these differences since then I think are more they're more uh, minor changes that mm. keep changing people are always delaying their their adulthood longer they're staying in school longer and so on but the value systems i think we're they, we've got a pretty powerful overriding culture where the values don't change that quickly one of the things i was um i was surprised about when i was when i was uh reading and went to the website and we looked at the three different projects and oh, you know good. some of the breakdown on it yeah it was it was pretty fascinating actually was the was the study that you did i think it was back in in 2018 which talked a little bit more folks a little bit more on social issues and of course social issues so you know i mean front and center right now doctor and just the way perception changed and i was wondering if you might be able to expand on that for us i'd love to it's, it's one of the favorite uh, sort of analyses or studies we've done out of this bigger project um I've, I've always been skeptical of people who say that, well, the, old, the older generation is more conservative because I think we, we haven't really had data that looks at people getting older like our study does. And so when I compare myself to my parents, they were more conservative than I am. Maybe that's because they grew up at a different time and their parents even more so. But uh, so we did ask these young people at age 18 how concerned they were about racism, about uh, gender discrimination, poverty, unemployment, pollution, and then asked the same questions every time we or interviewed them again. And I was surprised to find that, in fact, people became a little bit more conservative. It wasn't massive, but that by age 50 or 43, the last time we asked those questions, they had become a little less, they said they were less concerned about these issues than they were in the past. But do we know why? Yeah, that that really is the bigger question, why. We wondered, initially I wondered, um, you know, does education make a difference? If people go on to higher education, maybe they don't become more conservative because they meet people from different places they they uh, learn about different things but in fact that didn't make a difference what seemed to make a difference was that if people became moved into middle age and if they became considerably wealthier higher family incomes not wealth necessarily but the higher the family income the more likely they were to become less concerned about these issues and i think I can understand that when you move into higher paying jobs, you start living in different parts of the city, you no longer perhaps see some of these problems as in your face the way you might if you were living in poorer neighborhoods. Your children probably are less uh, likely to be dealing with unemployment because you've had the resources to pay for a better education for them and so on. So I think we slowly, we, and I would put myself there, I guess, too, because we slowly move into a higher strata within our society, and when we're there, we might become a little less concerned about the people who weren't there, who aren't there, thinking, well, we, I did okay, why yeah. did others? Yeah, interesting. So moving forward, um, and again, people can check this. You just have to Google Edmonton Transition Study. There's lots of really interesting uh, information uh, in there. So so what's next? I mean, th- this this core group of people, as you mentioned, coming up to 55 year, years of age. Um, some of them might be uh, retired. Some people may be wanting to retire. I think some people, I, I'd be curious to know, 
what age they said that they were the happiest at, or maybe they haven't hit that yet. What's next? Well, I'll, I'll comment quickly on the happiness because there is a long-standing sort of popular assumption that people have a midlife crisis and their happiness declines as they get into mid-age, middle, midlife, which is where our sample is right now. And our study just shows the opposite, that in fact people become somewhat happier over that time. And it's not surprising. They, they on average, move into better jobs. On average, they've sort of found the kind of the relationship that they might stick to long-term. They're uh, doing better. Their kids are growing up. So that's, I think contrary to the midlife crisis mm. um, stereotype we're not finding that but what's what's next i'm like you say i'm really interested in retirement when this group left school and uh, in the 90s the freedom 55 notion <laughs> that people could just sort of do as well as their parents had done as the baby boomers and retire at age 55 was pretty widespread yeah and we've been asking people now when they plan to retire, and they're certainly not saying 55. <laughs> so we are curious about just yeah. when that will be and whether sort of the advantages that some of them have had will allow them to retire earlier or whether that's not the case. So that, that'll be one of the questions we're really interested in moving into retirement years or just and how, how they're sorting things out with their children as well. Before I let you go, anything that you learned through all of this about this group of, of people that might have surprised you, that sticks out for you, that that you didn't expect? I think the surprising of the, the, the happiness increasing in midlife, yeah. I didn't expect. We just, I mean, I think I probably assumed that's just, well, that's how things are. I think the declining concerns about social issues yeah. is also a surprise to me. Um, I think the length of time it actually took this group, this we'll call them Gen X, I guess, just even though I'm not sure they're that much of a different generation, took to moving into sort of these traditional adult roles. I thought it would take long, but I think it's actually taken longer. So there's a number of things like that, enough to keep me fascinated for quite a bit longer. I guess so, Doctor. I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Fascinating stuff. Thank you for this. Thank you for talking to us. Yeah, you betcha. Dr. Harvey Cron joining me this afternoon from the University of Alberta. You can read more at the Edmonton Transition Study. What age were you the happiest at? Maybe you are.